There's a fascinating account at the start of Luke 3, and I love it. It's where Luke is listing the most powerful political and religious leaders of his day. It's as if he's he's listing through like the like the Putins and the Trumps and the Trudeaus of his day, and these rulers are all issuing their decrees and crafting policies, and they thinking that they know what's going on in the world. They're the real power brokers. And in the midst of their reign, Luke tells us that the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist in the desert. I love it. Because while things seem to be moving on this global macro scale with people of supposedly real authority, in the hidden, out-of-the-way places, God raises up the first true prophet in hundreds of years, one who comes to prepare the way of the Lord. Messengers may be trained in a Bible school, but they're formed in the secret place of prayer. And the house of prayer is a greenhouse for raising up prophetic messengers. And these obscure, out-of-the-way places, God is wanting to raise up voices crying out in the wilderness, voices that have been seasoned in the hidden place before God, and that can then break forth with power and authority to shake nations. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect with the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations, share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. And I'm Brian. So today we have a guest with us. Uh, she was a previous guest on another episode, Stephanie Reimer. Welcome back. Thank good. you so much. So good to be with you. Awesome to have you again. So you heard Brian Neistater in the introduction talking about a truth that seems counterintuitive, but messengers may be trained in a Bible school, but they are formed in the place of prayer. That was his quote. So okay. Stephanie, uh, I'm going to direct this question to you. What is the difference between being trained and being formed? Hey, thanks, Johan. Um, yeah, I think that there is a difference between being trained and being formed. I did four years of Bible school. and That's training. That was a lot of training, Okay, but it was in the context of a house of prayer. That's being formed. Uh, tons of foreman. So in the in the training side of it, I'm like my heart's growing, my head's growing, and I'm learning. And it's intellectual. There's rigorous study. There's like the diligence and the discipline of learning and of setting my time and my my mental capacities aside to learn about who God was. But that is all good and well. We need that. But it can also just kind of become stagnant if we're just learning, 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 but not actually letting it transform us. And I think that the secret place of prayer is where messengers are formed because it's the place of transformation in his presence. And so when we're getting in the presence of God, we have this intellectual knowledge, we have this rigorous study of the Bible, we are devotionally loving his word. Then when we bring that into the place of prayer, it goes from our head to our heart it, get, it gets integrated into every aspect of our lives, and we get transformed by his presence. But if we don't do that secret hidden place, a lot of what we're learning stays in our head, maybe gets to our heart, but doesn't transform us into who we were created to be in Jesus. I've kind of heard of explained as uh, the prayer room or the, the place of prayer is like this fire of the Lord. It's this sometimes painful, very beautiful place where we can be tempted to sort of walk around the outside, just to kind of skim the edge and be like, 
wow, God, you're beautiful. I love that, but I have some other things to do. And what we want to do is we want to resist that temptation to sort of just skirt the edge. And instead, we want to just go right through the center. We don't want to kind of just go glancing around the side of that fire, but we want to go right through it. And it's painful sometimes, but it's so good through that fire of of prayer, of the prayer room, of sitting before the Lord, of letting those intellectual ideas become heart realities, of letting him burn away the things that are not of him, burn away old thought patterns, old behaviors, sinful nature. As we go through the fire, that's where it really becomes a formation. That's where you're formed. And so you can kind of be trained by sort of looking at taking notes on the fire, so to speak, like, oh, it's, uh, it's bright, it's hot, it, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when you go through it and you experience it, that's where you're formed. Uh, like you said, from the head to the heart, it's it's like when the spirit of truth comes in, he will lead you into all truth, right? It's like you want to study the scripture and know it well, but you need the Holy Spirit to form you and forge you into into actually living it out experientially. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna throw a question out to the table here. So what what do we think is actually going on in the prayer room before God? Like how, how has it shaped you personally in terms of what happens when you leave the prayer room? Yeah, I think for myself, and and when we talk about prayer room, we're talking about, yeah, maybe it's the, the prayer meeting that your church has, or maybe it's just a place in your house where you're spending time before the Lord. But I, I think about um, some of the seasons the Lord has taken me through of spending hours and hours in His in His Word, and and one of the things that's happened in me is I've felt His Word go deeper and deeper and deeper on the inside of me. And this is going to sound a little like weird when I say it, but like there's been times where where I've, I've finished reading through the Bible, and, and sometimes I've, I've read through it in a pretty short period of time, and as I've read through the whole thing, it's like I finish reading it, and I, I don't even know what's happened, but I can actually feel something on the inside of me. Because the, the Word says that, that God's Word is living and active. It's like a double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 talks about that reality of His Word moving on the inside. And, and when I think about Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about the Word of the Lord being like a fire in his bones. Like he could not hold it in. It had to come out of him. And what happens in prayer is that, and in that place of prayer, is that the Word begins to go deep. It begins to go deeper and deeper and deeper on the inside of us as we read it, as we pray it, as we sing it, as we fast, as we set our eyes on him, it begins to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's no like metric to evaluate this. You can't look at somebody in the prayer room and say, oh man, the word of the Lord is going deep in them. You could have two people in the same prayer room for the same amount of time, and one person got absolutely nothing out of it, and the other one went deep in the Lord. And you might never know the difference from looking at them. But it's the reality of what happens when we actually set ourselves to be before God with our Bibles opened and our hearts opened and our minds opened, inviting the spirit of revelation to come. That's good. Stephanie, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, I really feel like, kind of like what Brian said as well, that it's that place of growing in the depth of the knowledge of who God is. It's also this place of this invitation to friendship with him, where we come before him and we want to relate to him. He's not just this ethereal God sitting up in heaven that doesn't want relationship, stoic, detached. He's actually super personal, wanting deep, intimate relationship with us. And so for me, what helps when I'm in the prayer room is picturing him right smack dab in front of me, like as close as awkwardly close can get, where you're like face to face looking at him and then going, 
I want, I want to know you. Who are you? Tell me about yourself. And in that place, opening up the word and reading it, knowing it is the revelation of his heart and knowing that Jesus is the revelation of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he reveals who they are and brings to remembrance the things that, that Jesus has spoken. And so I think it is this place of friendship where we share in his joy, where we share in the understanding of who he is and grow in, in the revelation of God. One other thing I want to I want to throw into this into this mix here is is that I think one of the significant things that happens in the in the prayer room is that as we do it over years we ro- we walk through some garbage in our lives. Like we walk through some really hard stuff and we get tried and tested. And 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 there's something about staying in the prayer room in the midst of that. Like anyone can be in a prayer room when it's awesome and anyone can be in prayer, like when things are going well, but, but when you've gone through not just a couple of days or a couple of bad weeks, but months and sometimes even years of wrestling and struggling, there's something that gets shaped and formed on the inside of us. I think that's part of the, the area where real authority gets formed in the spirit. There, there's some of these message pieces for myself as a, as a speaker, as a messenger that were like, you know, I, I was passionate about 10 years ago. But 10 years later, I've paid a price for the message to stay true to it, to stay true to what I feel like the Lord is saying. All of us here actually sitting at this table, I know we've, we've all been in the prayer room for, like, I've been in it for the least out of all of us. Um, but we've all been, spent over a decade before the Lord in, in, in intentional communities going after the Lord. And when I think about that reality, it's like, yeah, anyone can do it for a year, but if you do it through 10, you went through some hard times, you went through some difficult times, and the resolve that gets formed on the inside of you when you don't give up, but you keep coming before the Lord, and sometimes you're frustrated or you're confused or you're hurting or life threw you a bunch of curveballs you weren't expecting, but you stay before him, it produces an authority and a weight on the inside of you, a history in God. So what do we think this has to do with being a prophetic messenger, being steady in the place of prayer year after year when you, when you say that? Do you, do you guys have any thoughts? So when I first went to the House of Prayer in Kansas City in 2005, I walked into the prayer room and I hated it. I absolutely hated it because I walked straight into my depravity and straight into, ooh, I feel there is something not right in my heart. And I was how old was I at that point? I was like 19 or 20. And there was a lot of pain and brokenness I had not dealt with in my life up to that point. And I remember thinking, this is so uncomfortable. I do not like this. And I left that experience going, so if if I'm like hating this, do you think I'm called to it? And they're like, absolutely. I'm like, this makes no sense. But what I took away from that was the place of his presence, everything gets exposed like any area of darkness, he shines his light on. And for me, there was areas of darkness in my life where I needed healing. I needed breakthrough. I needed deliverance. And he shone his light. And I was so uncomfortable in that moment, but it has been my greatest gift. So throughout the years, like Brian was saying, we have some ups, we have some downs, there's some hard times, some good times. And the place of his presence is what keeps us before him, blameless in holiness. It what's a, it's what allows his light to shine in any of those dark areas. And honestly, I've seen as I've watched men and women come and go, 
there is a maturity that comes with sitting in his presence. And there's a, there's a healing that comes. And it reminds me even of what Jesus said when he opened up the scroll and was reading from Isaiah about how he came to set the prisoners free and to heal the brokenhearted. And as we get in the presence of God and have our own hearts mended, we become that same messenger. I know for me, as he's mended my heart in his presence, it has made me want to go out and tell everyone about the freedom that I found in Jesus. Tell everyone about the healing that is available and the deliverance that is available in him. And it reminds me even about the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, that as soon as she had encountered Jesus, who told her everything he knew about her, she went and became this massive evangelism, evangelist and all these people got saved. And I think that's what happens with us, that when we encounter him, when he does that, when he heals our hearts and sets us free or just speaks to us, we want to share that message and we want to give it to the world. And I think it was uh, Leonard Ravenhill who who made the statement that it to not not enough just to know the Bible, we actually need to know the God of the Bible. Like we actually need to know the one that these pages tell us about. And there's a big difference between being able to to properly exegete scriptures and properly properly teach on what scripture says versus actually knowing the one that these pages are about. To actually have depth, to actually have a prayer life that we've been walking in knowledge of Him. I think that's where, in, in Jeremiah 23, one of my favorite passages, that there's this question that the, that the Lord is asking, and, he's, and he says, but who has stood in my counsel? Who stood in my counsel to hear the things that are on my heart, to actually know and feel? And it's, it's almost this idea of like, of like, there's this top secret counsel going on in heaven. And he's asking, who's actually stood in that council to hear the things that are on my heart? And I know who those people are who have stood in his council. It's his close friends. It's his close friends. It's not people who are trying to have a powerful prophetic ministry. It's people who are his close, close friends. And he tells his secrets to his friends. He shares the things that are burning on his heart to his friends. He brings deeper revelation to his friends. And so as we, as we, and sometimes we're not even really looking and going after a prophetic ministry, what we're just going after, we're just going after friendship with him. But if we go after friendship with him, he's going to start telling us the things on his heart. And that's a huge, there's just a huge difference between being on a platform as a speaker and knowing that you know what's burning on the Lord's heart and just being a speaker with a message that you need to speak. Two completely different things. So in our house of prayer, we've probably prayed thousands of prayers having to do with raising up prophetic messengers. In fact, it's one of the six reasons why we exist. It's raising up prophetic messengers. And actually, we'll share those six points on some future episode, but not today. So in being one of the key reasons why we exist, another term that we use to describe prophetic messengers in, in our context is we call them forerunners. Uh, this language has been around in this prayer movement for a long time, probably right since the beginning. Mike Bickle seemed to make it really popular. I mean, it's in scripture, but Mike Bickle tend to make it a everyday language in, in the prayer movement. Could any of you give me a definition of what a forerunner is for our listeners? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. When I first started coming to our house of prayer and we were talking about forerunners, I'm like, what on earth? Like, what on earth? We're talking about like end time messenger stuff like this. And I'm like, I... I, I I would give me a Bible verse. Like I, I just was, I really wrestled with it. Honestly, I remember we did altar calls, like for people who believe that they were forerunners. Did they explain it back then? Not in a way that made biblical sense to me. Um, it, and it actually probably made biblical sense to other people. So mm. like, it's fine. But I was just like, if, if it would have been an altar call for a prophetic messenger, yeah, I want to speak the things that are on the Lord's heart, but I don't get this forerunner thing. And so I, I've thought about this over the years and, and I, I would define a forerunner this way. 
Um, first of all, a forerunner is just is a pioneer. It's someone who's a little bit ahead of their time, who prepares a way for something to come after them. So scripturally, John the Baptist is referred to as a forerunner in Luke 1.17, in the, in the NASB version. It says, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, so before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Man, it was just so helpful for me to actually see like it, there, the, the word forerunner in scripture. That was alone was really, really helpful. Okay, okay, it's in the Bible. It's not just like Mike Bickle didn't make up that name and now we're, we're made up this new ministry. It's like, okay, forerunner is, it, it's mirrored in, to some degree in John the Baptist's ministry. And he came before Jesus preaching a message of repentance to prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus. The interesting thing to me is that in Acts 2, 17 to 21, which talks about the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this prophetic generation that's going to be raised up, is really just a quotation taking from, taken from Joel 2. And it's clue, clear in Joel 2 that this is an end time thing. It, it includes what happened at Pentecost, but really the promise of Joel 2 in Acts 2 is ultimately fulfilled in an end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's bigger than Pentecost. It's part of Pentecost, but it's bigger than that. And I believe that there's this, the chief purpose of this outpouring is to release prophetic messengers who would prepare people for the return of Jesus. So just as God anointed John the Baptist to prepare the nation of Israel for Jesus' first coming, God is going to anoint a generation of believers to prepare the planet for Jesus' second coming. That's a great definition. I, I, I'd like to hear, Stephanie, what... It, what? How would you define it through your lens? Mm-hmm. The word forerunner. Like, how do you think of when you hear the word forerunner? What's your definition that you would give someone? Yeah, when I hear that word, I think of a man or woman who's uh, has a lifestyle and a message of repentance, forgiveness, and and living a life that is righteous. So we talked a, a little bit about what a forerunner is, and um, my question for you, Steph, is. How can you tell if you if you are a forerunner, or is this even something we should be going after? Like, what's your perspective on this? Uh, yes, Brian, I have a story that illustrates a little bit about um, how I feel about: Do we pursue this calling, or what is this supposed to look like? And do we have to know if we're a forerunner in order to actually enter this to the things that He's called us to? And so, when I was on my YWMDTS, we went and we did our outreach, and we were in the nation of Tahiti. And it was wonderful, but, and it was legitimate, (laughs) (laughs) legitimate ministry. And I was with my team and we were walking across the street and I heard a voice say, it's character versus calling Stephanie. And I like it, I'm kind of speechless for a few minutes, looking up, looking down and I'm crossing the street and there's cars coming, dangerous situation. But I, as soon as we got across the street, I asked my teammates, did you say anything when we were crossing the street? Did you say anything? Did you say something about character? And they're all like, no, not at all. And I heard again, it's about character versus calling Stephanie. And I kind of like had that, I want to weep my face off feeling in that moment but just kind of had to tuck that back in the heart and finish our ministry. When I got home to our uh, the place that we were staying, I hung up sheets on my bed. We had bunk beds and I wept. I needed some privacy. So I hung up these sheets and it's very hard to get privacy on outreach. And I just wept because the Lord so clearly said to me, you have been pursuing a calling. You have been pursuing this title of forerunner and you've missed the fact that I actually want to transform you. 
And it's about your character growing in godliness and you becoming Christ-like. And it was this idol for me, this this idea, I want to be a forerunner. I want to change the nations. I want to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's like, you're missing the mark. You're missing the man. And it was this massive time of repentance for me. And so I remember coming back uh, to this house of prayer and coming back into the prayer movement and being like, I don't know how to relate anymore because the word forerunner is a painful word for me. Because instead of it being like, yes, let's run after the forerunner calling. I was like, no, no, it's about the man. And so over the years, obviously the Lord's had to like teach me both are good, but to put the calling and the title and the, um, the, the activity of a forerunner above the relationship with the man is where it becomes an idol. It actually becomes something that stands in the way of our relationship with him. And so he massively convicted me on that. And I've had to learn like, okay, Jesus, how do you want to form me and form my character? And so I think a forerunner is someone who's been formed and forged in the place of prayer where we are being transformed. And as we're beholding Jesus, we're becoming like him. And and we see in the John the Baptist lifestyle, he was hidden in the secret place for so long. He was humble. He knew he was the friend of the bridegroom, not the bridegroom. He could not touch the bride. That was not his to do. And so there's these qualities, these character traits that um, that the Holy Spirit formed in John in the place of hiddenness and secretness, not just this calling that he was pursuing, if that makes sense. Yeah, so if if the word forerunner seemed to be almost a distraction for you, like pursuing the forerunner calling, is that even helpful language for us to use? If you're called to be a forerunner, if someone says, I just see you, you're called to be a forerunner, is that like counterintuitive? Is it not helpful at all? All right, great question. Yeah. Uh, that has been something I've wrestled with because in the beginning I was like, we should never use that again. I'm not there anymore. But I think it is this like, it is, it's a tricky thing because what are we setting people's eyes on? What are we, I'm a, like, for me personally, my personality is a perfectionist. I want to do it. I want to do it well. If there's a goal, let's like figure out how to get there and then do it well. And not everyone is like that. But for, I think a number of us, we see this title and we want to perfect it in our lives, as opposed to being like, you are called to be made in the image of Jesus and to be made like him. And you have been predestined, according to Romans, to be transformed into his likeness, into his image, into Christ-likeness. And so I think when we get off of that Christ-like character being developed in us and us being the image of God on the earth, it can get a bit tricky because we can get our priorities wrong. But I also think it is helpful. Language really is helpful to give us a definition and forerunner defines something really significant and forerunner defines something really important, which is men and women formed in the place of prayer, transformed in the place of prayer, then preparing the way of the Lord. And, and making his path straight. It's a very important term. It's a very important thing that we need. So, Yeah. And, and I think it comes down to, in some ways what you're saying too, is it's a question of identity. It's a question of identity of, of how do we see ourselves. And I would say that it's, it's dangerous to see yourself primarily as a worship leader. It's dangerous to see yourself primarily as a prophetic singer or a missionary or an intercessor. If you're going after a title, I would say go after a friend of the bridegroom, like a friend of God, someone who sits before him, falls in love with him, knows his heart, know the, knows the things that are burning on his heart, and then is faithful to obey whatever he asks you to do. 
I think Forerunner is a helpful term in that it helps describe a, a specific calling that you can walk in. But but like Steph said, and I love it, it's like it's character over calling. Go after following Jesus. And if you want to know if you're a forerunner, he'll let you know. He'll let you know along the way. But if you make your calling the centerpiece of your life, it's going to destroy you. And you're going to get a bit of a prophetic ministry and you're going to think you've arrived and you're going to lean into your your gifting and your ability and you're not going to lean into Jesus. So it's like you are a lover of God first and foremost. And if you get that piece, he's going to take care of the rest. And that applies, I believe, with any calling in the body of Christ. Any, any ministry calling is only secondary to that calling to be a lover of God. And so I would just say, like, don't worry about it. Um, set your eyes on Jesus. But as he speaks it to you, he's going he's gonna to take you down a path of, 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 going, you know, of going hard after him. He's going to take you deep into the Word. He's going to take you through some real battles in the Spirit, some of the stuff we described before. And he's going to shape you and form you along the way. Yeah, I really like what you had to say there, Brian. And I think the, the callings or the pictures in the Bible can be helpful to even describe to yourself what's happening, because you might be going through a season and you look back at different, you know, heroes of the faith, so to speak, and you're like, wow, I, I feel like I'm kind of like John the Baptist in this season, or, oh, I, I really feel like I'm doing the same thing that this other, you know, hero of the faith did. And so there's there can be a connection there where you can see the Lord moving in scriptures and you can see him moving in your life and you can draw in a lot of ways courage and strength that the Lord was with this person through the the ups and through the lows. And so he's going to be with you as well. But I really appreciate that, Brian, that we're not running after callings. We're not after ministries. You know, it's not about starting a David ministry or starting a John the Baptist ministry. And that would be our highest calling. Our highest calling is to be friends of the bridegroom, to be lovers of Jesus. And that should be our main title. We shouldn't be putting forerunner on our business cards. We should be putting lover of Jesus and that's it. So we're talking about the forerunner calling. Why is the forerunner calling important? We're living in a unique time in human history where the return of Jesus is closer than ever. And I think there's a few main groups that are affected by the forerunner calling. I think first and foremost, of course, when the Lord speaks this to you and says, I want you to be a forerunner, that that impacts your heart. But right away, the forerunner calling is about being friends of the bridegroom. And so by having this message in your heart, you're able to strengthen the bride, you're able to strengthen the church, you're able to to just bring such a love for Jesus as you walk, as you share with other people. And so the foreigner calling, I think, is is vitally important as we enter this next season so that the church can be radiant, can be bright and shining, foreigners who go and prepare the way for the church to be raised up and to be the bride that she's supposed to be when Jesus returns. And for the whole earth, we want to have foreigners raised up so that the earth is ready to welcome Jesus back. We want to see foreigners go into every area of society to prepare the way for our King to return. Well, for me, even having three kids, I I think it's really important to even live in light of the Lord returning in this coming age with just with the pressures and the things that we see coming at us, I mean, these are all biblical things that the Bible is describing happening in the in the end time scenario. So I want to be able to explain these things to my children so that they can give clarity to their friends and, and those that they meet and even walking out their own lives knowing, okay, this is what's going to happen. So that when these events happen, my kids are not going to be they're not going to be surprised. They're not going to be put off by these things because they expected them to happen. So I'm, I'm trying to raise them knowing, okay, the Bible describes that these things are going to happen. So don't be 
don't be shocked by it. Like you're supposed to walk in understanding and knowing that these things are going to happen. The Lord's given us a playbook on, on how this thing's going to all play out. So you shouldn't be shocked when it happens. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting. I was just speaking at a youth group um, a couple of nights ago, and they actually asked me to speak on Daniel 7. And so I'm like talking about the Antichrist and the the Great Tribulation at the end of the age, which in some ways seems like kind of a, a crazy thing to be talking about to a to a youth group, but but actually it's not crazy at all. I mean, it's interesting to me that we have these large swaths of Scripture that we're uncomfortable talking about. Like, when is the last time you heard a message about the Antichrist? When's the last time you heard a passage about end-time tribulation? The Lord did not put these things in the Bible so that we would avoid them. He didn't put them in Scripture so that we wouldn't be aware. And there are some unique dynamics that are coming on the earth before Jesus returns. And I would say many churches are not in any way in, in the West prepared for coming trouble. They're just not. They have this idea that things are just going to get better and better and better and no trouble will ever come. Well, just recently, there was this mass bombing that happened in Sri Lanka where over 300 Christians were were killed, like just in a moment, just going to worship. Like, we, we need a faith that's actually able to stand in the midst of difficulty, that we're not wavering. We're like, oh, I, I thought my life was just going to be all prosperous and blessed, and it's just going to get better and better and better. It's not what Scripture teaches, and it's not even the reality for most believers on the planet. So we need to be ready for that reality, and someone needs to prepare the way and and teach accurately from Scripture about what the Bible says is going to come. But the flip side is it, of it is that there's many who don't believe in coming revival, and they believe that maybe even the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today anymore, and so there's no revival, and things are just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and, and then Jesus comes and saves us all out of it. And that's not what Scripture teaches either. It talks about real power in the last days. I mean, Revelation 11 talks about the two witnesses and these incredible miracles breaking out on the earth, like right in the midst of the height of the Antichrist's power. We actually need to be ready for these things. We need to have a biblical understanding of the signs of the times. And so I believe that this ministry is really important as a preparatory ministry for what's coming in the day of the Lord. And I would encourage our listeners even just to listen through a little bit of our podcast on urgency, because there's a few things that we mentioned there that are really relevant to what we're talking about as well. So in light of all of these things that we're saying, the weighty issues and the coming trouble, but the coming revival, how does someone steward all this? Like, what are some practical tips you could give someone if they feel this calling to to live a foreigner lifestyle or feel this calling to be a foreigner for the Lord? I love something that Mike Bickle said about 10 years ago. They did a One Thing conference down in Kansas City, and he was calling on, on this whole generation to come forth as forerunners. And he, he, the whole focus was the book of the Revelation and, and understanding like end time, uh, end time scenarios. And at the end of the conference, he said, you know, what I want you to do now, he said, now don't go home to your church and preach everything you just heard. He said, you're not an expert on this. He said, you're not an expert on this stuff. Give yourself 10 years to go deep in the message. And what he wasn't saying was now don't preach about Jesus to anyone for 10 years. That wasn't what he was saying. But what he was saying is, is go deep in what the Bible says. Like, give yourself to understanding his word. And and I wouldn't say, you know, like, don't just study the book of Revelation. I would say, like, learn eschatology, like, study it out and and learn what the Bible says about it, but give yourself to following the Lord. Give yourself to, to prayer for revival. Give yourself to worship. Give yourself to walking in humility and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but set your heart for the long haul in the midst of it and be sensitive to how the Lord is speaking to you. To me, that's just a huge thing, because sometimes we're looking for principles of how do I walk into this ministry, or how do I become this, how do I become that? But I think the reality is, is 
is get really, really close to the Holy Spirit and learn to hear his voice. And he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. There's not a cookie cutter approach to how these messengers get raised up. And so we need to be sensitive and understand that the way the Lord prepares you might be different from the way he prepares someone else. And for me, it really means walking close to the Lord in the midst of that as well. And I think one piece of advice to just add in there is uh, when we look at the biblical model of a forerunner as John the Baptist, uh, he was in the wilderness um, in a physical sense, and it sounded like it was kind of a trying time. He was eating locusts. I mean, the honey sounds pretty good, but if he had to get it from the bees, it might have been... I don't know, 50-50. He was wearing these sort of uncomfortable clothes. And so just the reality that you may experience difficulties in the natural, you may experience difficulties in the spiritual when you're going down this journey. And that doesn't mean it's it's bad. That doesn't mean there's there's anything wrong. That just might be part of your journey that uh, part and parcel with the foreigner calling is a, a wilderness experience, is the idea that there may be some solitude, there may be some, some trying times, and that's not the Lord punishing you, or that's not uh, saying that you missed the mark, but it's just, that's the time for the Lord to meet you. The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness when he received that friendship and that uh, that calling and that, that moment that he needed to hear. And so uh, just take heart that you're not the only person who's experiencing this um, I know even for yourself, Brian, you've talked about this before, and it's been encouraging for me talking about your uh, experiences where there's been times where you've been in the wilderness, but that the Lord, he doesn't forsake you there. Sometimes those are the places where he really makes the word go deep. And, and I would say maybe even if I would add a one last piece of advice to people who are wanting to grow in this calling, it would be just put down your phone and turn off your TV and open up your Bible. We live in a world where it's like we want to enjoy, it's in the church, we want to enjoy all the pleasures of the world and have a little bit of Jesus on the side. But if you want to set yourself to follow God, and this isn't just if you feel a forerunner calling, this is like, if you want to follow God, like we need to be serious about consecrating ourselves and turning off the world and and opening our heart and our minds and our Bibles and going deep in what God's saying in this hour. We're way too distracted. And so I, I feel like that, like that is a, maybe even a simple starting point. We have this generation that says, I just don't have time to be with God. But you, you pull out your iPhone and it tells you you're averaging five hours a day of screen time. And, and you're wondering, how come you never have time for God? Well, there's your answer right there. Um, the Lord is calling a generation to actually get before him. And that means we need to get rid of the distractions. We're a very distracted generation. And I think the Lord is actually calling us to to be sober in that and and really take heart for for this forerunner calling and, and set ourselves to to not do the things that the world is doing to set time aside that that the world would be doing something else it, it really is a sobering calling that we need to take a lot more seriously than we are so in a podcast like this it's it's absolutely impossible for us to talk about everything in the full dimension of what it means to be one of these messengers but in closing I, I just want to pray. Um, for all of us here. And so we're so grateful for all of you who are listening in and are following with us week after week. And so why don't we just pray together? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you work on the inside of us to reveal truth, to take the deep things of God and make them known to us. And Lord, we ask for ourselves, God, would you speak to us? God, we want to be friends of the bridegroom. We want to be so close to you that we know and understand the things that are on your heart. And I ask, God, that you would take each of us on a journey of going deep into the knowledge of you. And Father, I ask that you would 
would would unveil the prophetic scriptures to us in a deeper way, that we would have understanding of the urgency of the hour that we live in, that we would be able to to sound the alarm of coming trouble and also declare the reality of coming revival as well. God, I ask that that out of those who are listening right now, Lord, that you would raise up prophetic messengers, anointed voices, people who would write songs, people who would preach messages, people who would have discussions in coffee shops that help to awaken a generation to all that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So this concludes another episode of the Burning Rooms podcast. Thank you for joining us. Again, if you want to find out more information on us, you can go to our website at burningrooms.ca or you can email us, burningroomspodcast at gmail.com. Also, we need to upgrade our equipment. If you want to support us, find the links in the show notes. That would be much appreciated. We want to continue to grow this content and keep sending you great content without our computers falling apart. And thank you, Stephanie Reimer, again for joining us today. It was a great pleasure to have you and to get your perspectives. You are welcome on anytime. So until next time, I'm Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. I'm Stephanie. And this is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Podcast.